Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Wendy and I are delighted to be joined today by Lee Goodyear, Head of Social for Huawei. Welcome, Lee. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, Lee, we first met when you were at Shell, but I'd love to hear more about how you got to where you are now. And I know that some of us fall into marketing, but it was a bit of a calling for you, wasn't it? Do you want to tell us about the journey? Yeah, absolutely. If I think back now, I was very fortunate to have been taken aboard on holiday as a child. And my grandfather was very much uh, a shopper. He loved going to supermarkets and I would go along with him. And from that moment, it was seeing as a child, different products you can buy in the UK. So cereals, um, honey smacks was the equivalent of sugar puffs. Wall's ice cream was Frigo with all the different chocolate and different flavors and things. And that kind of intrigue of packaging and um, branding has always been something which I've been interested in. And then I sort of kind of fast forward to my school days. And I think about my economics teacher, Miss Cottrell, who introduced us to uh, the Sir John Harvey Jones troubleshooter series. And he would go into businesses and organizations where they would have a problem. And he would pretty much just kind of identify what the situation and, and the challenges they were facing. And more often than not, it was where personal opinion would replace consumer need. It was based on what they felt they should be doing as opposed to asking through, say, market research. And I always found that really interesting of the, the marketing, the branding side coming together. And that's always been, you know, throughout my career, looking at audience insights, research and how that can positive, positively impact a brand. So you're now at Huawei and heading up social media. I appreciate it's, it's really early days, but what, what is your role there and what are you actually looking forward to in your new role? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's what week four, so still the new boy. Uh, for me, really, it's like probably in a situation for most social media managers, understanding the business priorities. What is it that Huawei are looking at, sharing, doing, thinking about, and then how do we use the social media platforms in an appropriate way from every scale? If it's uh, using you know Twitter appropriately, the different formats, the understanding the algorithms, looking at social listening paid media you know the list goes on and on it's continually evolving so for me it's really this moment in time understanding what the business priorities are and then really applying my experience to make sure that I deliver to that ambition in the way that is most appropriate for our audiences and for the business as well. Now spanning your career as I said uh, we met when you were at Shell I'd be happy to hear about the sort of journey that kind of led you to getting all the way to, to Huawei as well. But I'd also love to just understand what have you been most proud of so far? There are many times I've looked in my career and gone, I'm really proud of things I've done. Um, actually, probably the most, the highlight, if you will, to date has been working on a DNI program at Shell, which is uh, focusing on closing the gender gap for women, female engineers. And I think it was only doing this program, I realized what a gap there is. It's quite, I've been very fortunate to have worked in organizations where there was a very equal balance of female to male 
leadership. So that really didn't, it wasn't really apparent. I didn't see that gap and those microaggressions that other women have experienced. Um, also, I went to an all-girls school for my A-level. So again, it was an interesting dynamic bringing that into the place as well, that I was very aware of the different gender stereotypes, but being in that environment, you don't really see that. So coming into an engineering as, as Shell is and owning the conversation that wasn't just a reflection of what they were experiencing, but wide industry moments was, was quite something special. And the work, the creative work with the agency at that time was just social first. It, it ticked all the boxes of best in class social media on a topic that really, really mattered. Fantastic. Well, what a great thing to be involved in. I do think it's kind of worrying that it's something that's going back a little bit as well. It seems to be that that discussion is being put on hold during the pandemic, but uh, perhaps one for another conversation. Now, thinking about any brand that you've worked with, so brand side or agency, because I know you've been on agency side, what has been the biggest transformation that you've seen? I think really it's just been owning the conversation with audiences by far. It's social media has meant there's that spontaneous research. It's not just in a, in a as an ex-quote-unquote researcher, asking opinions uh, of audiences, whereas social allows people to share what they want, um, what they feel is appropriate. That said, it's navigating what is the right mix of conversation. There's a lot of people, the keyboard warriors, who use it just to attack and the trolls. But it's really a lot of passionate audiences out there who are so committed to the brands they invest in. And I think there's a huge opportunity for brands to understand more and work with these, these audiences. So for me, I think that the distance between brand just broadcasting message to sharing, collaborating, has certainly allowed brands to own that that space. And that's been the biggest uh, growth, I think, and will continue to be uh, a big milestone for organisations uh, to date. But that, that's actually a really lovely segue onto another question. So uh, obviously, my passion at the social element is around helping brands have genuine human connections with their consumers. So how have you managed to sort of create connections between any brand that you've worked on and and customers? There are many times where I have ensured that audiences can come as close as brand as possible through meetups, through experiential events, just outreaching to audiences. That's been a kind of almost a move from my early days as a, a core researcher of then putting the product in the hands of new audiences. Working with Mila, we ran a program at a thousand heads called a Mila for Two, where we had a steam oven, identified food bloggers and gave them option recipe cards that they could then select what they wanted, sent the product out to them, and then we gave them a framework to cook the food around. Um, so it was all up to them what they felt of the product, but we were engaging with them to kind of give them opportunity to do so. Similar for uh, Pumo at Edelman, uh, we ran various uh, events with football groups where we would host an event and just let them meet the uh, Puma management to get close to the brand and see what was going on. Fantastic. It's kind of, I remember those sort of the earlier days of digital when all of these things were just so experimental. And yeah, it's it's great to hear that you were really sort of at the forefront of that. And did the food bloggers get to keep the ovens? No, they sent it back. So it was very much in an ethical space. So there was no bribery. There was no way of looking like we were hoodwinking them, if you will, to give positive reviews. It was very kind of from an editorial perspective, you know, if the product's good enough, it will speak for itself and it's not, we need to learn from that as well. Yeah. So focusing specifically on social media, what's your biggest priority for the year ahead at Huawei? 
I've been at the company obviously for a few weeks, but as I said earlier on, it's like most organizations understanding what, what are the right areas to invest in. So it's really a case of understanding the business priorities, aligning those to social media opportunity and delivering on that. It's as super simple as that, really. Uh, as I say, there are so many things that I can be getting involved in, but I've got to kind of just pace myself a bit. I get quite enthusiastic about lots of opportunity. So it's slowing down a bit rather than getting ahead of myself and really just delivering on what is right for audiences and what is right for the business. So let's go back a little bit and talk about what led up to all this, Lee. And we'll start with Lee as a child, if that's okay. So what were you like when you were little? Um, Probably very average, to be honest with you. I don't think it was anything particularly outstanding. Um, I wasn't the the kid who was picked on, but then I wasn't the bully. I wasn't, you know, wasn't last week picked for the football team, but then I wasn't the first. So I was very kind of average in that space. Not saying I was completely invisible, but... I was quite comfortable with my skin and uh, happy to, to just play. I think as a child of the 70s, 80s, there were lots of, you know, time, free time to go and do stuff. Uh, very different to my children on the Xbox all the time now. So I was out on the, my bike and just exploring and, and playing. I think imagination, creativity in that space there, being self-reliant with limited toys and uh, only, a, you know, when the TV channel stopped at what five o'clock in the in the afternoon so a very very different time <laughs> and what was your first job my first job actually was at home base the DIY store so I was there for five years from 15 and I was everything from being on the checkouts to the information desk stacking shelves to those kind of things absolutely no idea about DIY whatsoever so it hasn't made a lasting impression but one thing I did do a lot of was being very respectful to the the colleagues who were full-time there there were lots of students who not saying didn't care but it was a casual Saturday job and evening and really were kind of just doing the bare minimum whereas I kind of was quite proud of having a position there and wanted to give it my best whether that was just making sure that customers were looked after and the shop you know, display was presentable. Uh, so I really did take, take some pride in that time I had there. And it was a great opportunity to learn from all different areas of retail, if you will. So yeah, it was a good, good, good five years spent. Brilliant. And what's the worst job you've ever had? I don't think I've ever had a, a worse job. Uh, fortunately, I've had jobs which haven't lived up to expectation. That's been the real issue, I think, when uh, one job in particular where I arrived on my first day and people were crying at their desk oh. and uh, they'd had seven waves of redundancy and they hadn't told me that. Mm. So the business was going through a transformation from old print work they were doing to digital and all the kind of print and sort of older school of business were being let go. And it was really difficult being walking around a business and then you find that clients had been completely missold the deliverable and I was meant to be work with a client when there was no way we could deliver what they were doing. So I really struggled with that. And I've always uh, been true to myself that if I'm recruiting somebody, that is the right thing to tell them what the situation is. If they're going to leave a company and come to join you, it's only right that they've got some degree of uh, expectation management than being brought in under false pretenses. Definitely. That must have been really tough. So I imagine that over the years, you've worked with some amazing people. So thinking back over your career, which genuine humans have influenced you the most? I've been really fortunate to have worked with some really impressive, um, you know, entrepreneurs, business leaders. Yeah, I'm really, really lucky to have been inspired by lots of people. 
Three in particular that really come to mind. Uh, when I was at Dennis Publishing on my year placement from university, uh, Alistair Ramsey was the MD at the time. So, of course, I was just a student in the marketing team writing bits and pieces. But he always had a moment of coming around and saying hello and would recognise, you know, just, just acknowledge that I was actually there, which I found, you know, at the time was just nice to have the senior guy just saying hello to the student. And then when I left Dennis, um, when I was, what, 23 and had cancer, which wasn't the best time of my life, he sent a letter, just while I was in hospital, a letter just saying, you know, thinking of you, all the, all the kind of niceties around it. And, um, yeah, that really made a difference, having somebody who remembered four years later wow. that taking time out just to send a letter. So so that's been something which I've always remembered, that you don't have to be senior to not, you know, to forget the little man, if that makes sense. So that was, yeah, that was quite a moment. And then Mohammed Raja, who was my my boss at uh, mystreet.com, he was an amazing guy. And he and I are still in contact now. He's kind of uh, an unofficial mentor, if you will. Obviously, he'd like me to pay for the services because that's what he does full time now. So I have to be careful what I say there. But he's been he's been fantastic. And I think as from that perspective, he gave me an awful lot of opportunity early on in my career. He could see that I had potential and made it or recognised in myself. I remember him showing me a document of how to manage your manager. And it was kind of how to read people and understand different cultures. As a, as a Muslim, he would share his faith, I'll share my faith. And we'd talk about big, big, big things, if you will. And again, I always found that great that he was able to share that uh, with me. And then more recently, it's not just the senior people in organisations or bosses, but then if I think back to Shell with my graduate who reported into me, Charlie Fryer, just her passion for doing the right thing. She, I remember her telling me that she had taken her holiday to go to Syria to help in a refugee camp because she could speak Farsi. Mm -hmm. And it was that whole thing about doing something completely different, whereas most people go off to Ibiza and uh, chill out. She was spending her time going to, uh, to a refugee camp and, and helping. You know, a lot younger than, than I am. She just had a really mature sense. And there's so many things you can learn from people. And I always felt that, you know, it's not about age. It's not about your experience. It's about who you are and the values you have. And for me, Charlie was just someone who I kind of really took a lot of uh, inspiration from as well. That's really wonderful. And thinking about yourself, what qualities in you are you pretty happy about? Interesting question. Uh, I suppose that I've always been me. That makes sense. I haven't, you know, I've been given lots of opportunities to go to different countries, have been taken to nice restaurants and all the kind of things that come with sort of senior leadership, if you will. But I've always made sure I, t I appreciate that. I've never taken for granted. I've not come back trying to think, well, we're going to go and live this life and buy fancy cars and live above my means. So that's not been me at all. So I think I've always been very grounded. I really appreciate everything that every day every opportunity I have it's just a, a joy so I think really from from that moment it's just about appreciating stuff and not changing simple as that really how would you define your leadership style um I looked into this because I was quite intrigued to know what the definition of leadership is people have often said to me that you're you know you are a leader and it's like well what does that really mean and you know do you have to earn it do you have to define it whatever it is and there were three kind of qualities uh, that I kind of saw that I kind of related to. One was kind of definition of a pace setter being helpful or motivational. And again, I've always made sure that my colleagues, no matter what seniority they're at, you know, it's making sure they get credit for the work they do and allow them to, to have a voice at a table, whether it's, say, Charlie or, or, you know, graduate level or senior management. It's just making sure that people are recognised for the work they do. 
I suppose the coaching comes into that again, making sure that I'm sharing my experiences and giving opportunities to, for people to present. I had one experience many years ago where you had a boss coming, he would do the intro, the outro, and leave everybody doing their stuff in the middle. And whilst I appreciated I could have the voice in the room, you knew they weren't, they weren't really involved. They just kind of a token gesture. And I've never wanted to be that manager. It's kind of want to be involved to do more than that. So that's been really key. And then I suppose it comes into the visionary, having a look around and what's what's the future trends? What do I have to do? Working with Americo, my boss, uh, ex-boss from Shell now, he and I both coined the phrase to be a practitioner, not theorist. And I think that's really key as well. How can you lean into things and own it so you're not just giving me a subjective opinion in the meeting, but you've got some experience around it. So again, it's all those kind of things mixed up there, but appreciating people, coaching them, supporting them as much as I can, just trying to be nice. Uh, and that sounds really corny, but it is just being nice at the end of the day. No politics, just just helping people. Mm-hmm. And have you been influenced by other leaders uh, along the way, or have you got like a particular business book is that's your go-to book or anything? From a business perspective, I've had Marcus Dyer, who's my boss from Edelman, again, somebody who I looked up to, who's an entrepreneur, just, again, always seeing opportunity, investing in people. But he would go out and just do simple things like buying, you know, if it's a hot day, we'd go to the shop and buy ice creams for the entire team. Really simple things. He didn't go and send a PA to do it or something. He would go and just, just organise it. So I felt, again, that kind of leadership style of being completely part of the team is, is what I've sort of valued. Mm-hmm. I remember as well working with uh, Wix, a client of mine. I think his name is Bill Grimsby, who was the MD of the business. He used to wear just the same T-shirts. I'm trying to think what they're called. Like a polo shirt or something. Polo shirts, yeah. So he would he would wear the polo shirts, the staff wore. And I remember going to a meeting at head office and all the guys were in suits, but he was wearing the polo shirt with his name on it. And again, it was an interesting reflection that, you, you know, you can be down to earth with your, your colleagues around you. So for me, I think it's that leadership of just being open and transparent and being there, you know, no, not just being this sort of figurehead who's not involved. But I like to get my hands dirty on stuff anyway, so it's probably more of my natural flavour. There was a completely opposite to that. I was at a a conference and there was a a senior uh, leader and he was showing how his PA had these colour codes when he was coming into the office. So depending on his mood, she would put whether he was green, amber or red. (laughs) So people knew what to talk to him or not. Oh and I just thought, and he was he was happily boasting this kind of display of communication and leadership. And I thought, if you've got to put a red on to show you're not in a good mood, I thought, really, is that is that appropriate given the position you hold? Um, you're saying that to a group of young leaders. And I, I took quite offence to that and uh, voiced my opinion um, as well. Well, thank God for, for leaders like you instead, because, yeah, that's, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. sound good. I imagine... Yeah, imagine having something really important that you needed to take to that guy. You needed to talk yeah. to him yeah. and you get there and it's red. red. Yeah. What an awful start. No. Uh, Lee, you've, you've been at Huawei only a, a short time and we're still currently in lockdown, although obviously we're soon to be released. But how are you focusing on culture and team collaboration? I'm really fortunate that the team have uh, got great leadership. My boss is brilliant. I mean, four weeks in, so I'm going to say that anyway. But he's great. He's really good. And we have a 9.15 call in the morning. And it's partly to share what we're doing in the day, but also to check in on people. And then at five o'clock, again, a kind of similar thing with the wider team as well. So straight away, I can see that there's a moment where people are being respected 
he, he understands people in different life situations at the moment. We had a call the other day where one colleague has got his daughter playing the recorder and you hear her in the background with this noise, you know, and <laughs> happy to and he'll put the camera around and, you know, everybody laughs at that. And it's great because you see the pressure coming off him when you're trying to focus on the, on the task at hand. Um, another colleague who um, just heard up his son in his Spider-Man outfit during the call the other day. So again, it's kind of proper business, but giving that re reflection that we're in a strange time. So let's not beat people up if um, if they're having a moment with the family as well. So I think recognising that people are finding it difficult, that we're in difficult times, but just trying to embrace everything and give it respect is really important. So. Yeah, I think that it's it's really keeping that momentum of just recognizing, supporting, sharing, and saying if you need time out, then then do so. I, I love it, and I kind of hope that when people do go back into offices, and obviously video conferences will continue, I kind of hope that we never lose that um, more personal touch. That it's totally okay to have children, cats, and and recorders on video uh, going forward. I, I kind of hope that we don't lose it. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. I mean, Paul will sit there and suddenly his cat will appear meowing on screen and make a guest appearance and jump off again. Excellent. So, or you hear people saying, oh, sorry about that, the, the uh, tumble dryers on in the background, you know, the washing machine, because it's a nice day. Again, it's just people being normal, which is, which is great. Absolutely. We're going to move on to the final part of the podcast now. And we'll ask a few quick fire personal questions, if that's okay. It's going to be really highbrow stuff. So <laughs> let's start with what's your guilty pleasure? So I had to really think long and hard about this one. Uh, so there's quite a few, but one of them, which is probably, I'm not sure if it's guilty pleasure, which is weird or not. I like a good bargain. Again, it probably goes back to what I was saying earlier about going shopping as well. So, you know, if there's the other day I was out in Sainsbury's and they had bread that was being reduced to 15 pence a loaf. So I kind of grabbed a few of those and was quite proud. I've <laughs> made a, you know, there's a, there's a bargain to be had. If I'm, if I'm online shopping, I'll search the, uh, the codes before I purchase it. And there's a awesome. kind of, you know, that, that's a guilty pleasure, I think. And what about your perfect weekend? What would that look like? Well, all weekends appear to be the same at the moment. But one thing yeah. COVID has done is kind of forced me to slow down a bit. I'm kind of always have to be on the go. I've got, I'm always, I'm a list writer. So making sure I've got things to keep me occupied. So I suppose in one sense, it's slowing down. But then I do really enjoy time with my family and friends, um, weekends away. So I think social just chilling and socializing would be really nice to continue doing that um, whether it's a walk and a, a nice sunday pub lunch you know that'd be that'd be quite nice uh, geeky questions now what app could you not live without there are so many apps my phone is probably loaded completely but <laughs> saying that i think the bbc sounds app for desert island discs is my guilty pleasure in the morning i catch up on all the older recordings and that's kind of my go-to for a walk bit of bit of debate sort of interview and some music which is great so the bbc sounds up i've also got the uh, an app called soundbox which is full of just strange noises of like robots alien voices dogs barking so if ever i'm bored there's always good to put a noise on the background or connect it to a speaker and then you know frighten the family of a, a ghost or something in the background so uh, yeah just random random experience or on a work call you know sorry that the, the alien just came in yeah absolutely different from the... just just a bit of fun you know um i used to help out with a um a youth group so we used to do these night hikes and then there's a one that sounds with somebody screaming so you just play that round and watch your kids get frightened um, <laughs> just for 
just for fun. I don't know why, but yeah. And if you could invent something, what would it be? Quite selfishly, because I did think to myself, going through the kind of you know sustainable packaging and you kind of environmental stuff, and then I was like, well, that that's good, and you know I don't have the uh, the engineering background to to be qualified in that. Selfishly, it'll be um, healthy chocolate. <laughs> And I don't mean just like the stuff with no taste in it because that doesn't taste nice. It's got to be normal Cadbury's, you know, full fat dairy milk, but but slimming at the same time. So that that's a challenge for Cadbury's. If you know them, please put them put them in contact. I'll be a taster for sure. <laughs> but yeah, healthy chocolate. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> so if we had the power, Lee, to, to gift you an extra hour every day, what would you do with it? One thing that I've, I struggle with, and I'm sure you do as well, is that so busy at work that you find that the limited time at the end of the day is kind of for family and just chilling. I, I'm quite passionate about community and supporting people. So at Christmas, we did a thing for a refu- um, women's refuge. So for, for women with, with children where they really have nothing at all. And I'd like if there's a time um, at the end of the day is to do more things like food bank. Mm-hmm. Again, I've got friends who help out with a, it's called food shop, which is the next step from food bank where you pay three pounds and you're given 15 pounds worth of food. And I've had a conversation about how we could promote and the communications around it. But it's just sometimes where you actually want to physically do something. I just I've, I've struggled sometimes. Probably I could do more to, to be physically there. Um, so if there's extra hour to just do something that'll be um, a, a dream if you will that's really lovely and and I hope and I know this that's not specifically about the pandemic but I hope that that's something that we don't lose is that increased sense of community spirit absolutely so when you were growing up what did you want to be interesting enough there was a book that I had when I was probably about eight called The Cartoonist by Betsy Byers who was a, it was a, a novel but it was about somebody who used to draw in his attic and for a moment, I did want to become a, a illustrator of comics, those kind of things. You used to draw small sketches. So that's called creativity. Um, again, when you haven't got, you know, an Xbox or the TV finished at five o'clock, give you time to think and do those kind of things. So I think that kind of creative passion um, would be, you know, I always doodling if I'm on calls, I'll start just sketching a face and, and that kind of stuff there. So it hasn't gone away, but yeah. That, that would have been a nice, that sliding doors moment. What if I'd have uh, mm-hmm. become a cartoon illustrator? Sure, it's not too late. And how would your friends describe you? Probably of a chancer, to be honest with you. <laughs> they, they look at me and I think, because I haven't changed and I'm still really good friends with a lot of the guys I grew up with when I was sort of 15, 16 and onwards. They know me and they know that I'm pretty much the same. So if I'm going off somewhere uh, for travel, they would just laugh at me and go, "How do you do this?" And uh, what do you, you know? So I think that they they will see me as somebody who has just been very loyal to them, a chancer, a joker, and just very kind of honest. I think. And would they describe you as introvert or extrovert? Uh, probably. Well, I know that I'm a bit more on the introverted side. Yeah, and and again, goes back to the chancer things. I've had a few times where I've kind of gate crashed parties, not not in a horrible way. But if there's a door that says private, I'll go through it. And the best one I did was at uh, the Hangover 3 premiere. And uh, I took a colleague at the time. I was like, just follow me. We'll go through. And there was Bradley Cooper, Zach Gillifinalis, and the entire cast in a restaurant in London that's probably that could only seat about 30 people. And we sat in the bar and we're talking to the end of the evening. 
and I tell my friends afterwards, they go, how do you do it? And I go, well, the door was there and I just, you just get told to leave if it's not appropriate and no one asked me to leave and they were talking to me. So I, I'm definitely going to go out for a drink with you then so we can go into yes. <laughs> just open go VIP rooms. It is. I, I don't know why I just have this. So what, what's going behind that? And it's not to be, you know, not to manipulate you on it. And I don't do selfies with them at all. None of that. It's just like, well, what goes on behind the door here? And uh, yeah. <laughs> a natural curiosity. <laughs> it is. I think it is. I think that is what has been kind of, again, for my career. It's like, what's the latest thing? What, what's happening next? And uh, why has that door got private <laughs> on it? I'm sure I can uh, <laughs> just open the door and go for a, for a, a chat. You know. I love it. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Again, I was thinking about speed, invisibility, mind reading, all that kind of stuff, and keeping it really simple, perfect recollection. So that when I meet somebody, I remember their name because I'm terrible at names. Literally, I'll bump into people and they'll go, hi, and I've done it before. I was on a, on a business trip once and somebody saw me on a plane and I completely thought there was somebody else. It was really embarrassing. So, yeah, just have that moment where I can look at somebody and go, ah, and remember exactly who they are that will be uh quite simple but effective also very useful for going into vip rooms as well <laughs> absolutely that'd be very good wouldn't it the bouncers names um, yeah that'd be fantastic yeah so lee we're coming to the end and i wanted to check is there anything that you wish that we had asked you or any closing thoughts from you there were two two things actually i thought of i, I thought oh, what, what here's an interesting one get to be asked to be you know the question what's the best advice that i've ever been given that's helped my career oh so i thought so two things that sort of have been true one was actually from a film so it wasn't really given to me but it was if you've seen the film planes trains yes. and automobiles with john Candy, my favorite pillows so there's a scene in it well no it's not the pillows that wasn't the advice uh, although i'm sure that <laughs> um, it was actually uh, it's actually the um uh, like your job love your wife Nice. from John Candy when he's Del Griffiths as he's uh, setting his showering so that one was always something and again I think I even saw that film before I was married but it was something which of all the lines in the film for some reason it just kind of stuck out so yeah like your job love your wife so that's a good one and then a friend of mine as well we were talking about friends and life and corporate business and these things and he just said to me you know all you can do is give your best away and that's also really true because if you do that the best of your ability with no strings attached no politics just give your best away and kind of release it and if your best isn't good enough to somebody else well that's their opinion but if it's done genuinely to support somebody to get something done whether that's in a work environment whether it's from community outreach whatever it is i think that's really really important that you're just releasing something with the best intention and i think that is from a from a career point of view where you do get politics and organisations at different levels, different people not sure, you know, suspicious of what you're trying, what the intent is. But if you go with that approach, then I think you, you can't go wrong. So that was my, my, my first question. And the other one was, what's been the secret of my success? If you can, and again, success is all relative to different people anyway. And again, I, I thought about this and it was really obvious that I was, and as I mentioned earlier on, I went to an all-girls school. So, and that's where I met my wife. Aww. Um, get emotional now and uh, yeah she's been the backbone of my career totally you know when I've when I've gone I'm going to go and join a company that's into interactive television or this thing called social media or digital communications you know back in 2000 leaving a, um, 
very good marketing opportunity to go and join a, a, a dot com startup called upmystreet.com with this thing called the internet. I mean, it's like bonkers, but she allowed me to do it. You know, she's just supported all the way there. And that's been, you know, if, if there is a secret to someone's success, it's knowing that I'm, I've got the freedom to, to do what I want to do with the uh, support to do it, you know. That's wonderful when you get that kind of support as well. That's That really makes a difference. Absolutely. I mean, I've got friends whose partners are suspicious of what they're doing. I mean, I've taken Emma to work functions. I mean, most of my colleagues already know Emma because I talk about her, you know, probably bore them a bit. <laughs> but just dropping conversation, what she's doing. Like yesterday evening, Emma was, she's a midwife. And last night she was on shift. So I was on a call like this. In fact, she might be asleep next door because she got back early this morning. And I just talk about it very openly or take Emma to events. So people, I remember a, a work function one time and Emma walked in, they all knew her. And I think it's important to do that. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing worse. I've seen it before where you get people who bring their partners in and they put a different different face on. They're this person for their colleagues and joking around and suddenly they're the, you know, very stiff and don't say anything. And I think, mm-hmm. how can you be so opposite? I've never understood that. It doesn't feel very genuine human. No, not at all. No. No. So for me, it's, you know, because they laugh and say, how do you cope with Lee at work or at home and vice versa? So they, they have a mutual understanding of who I am. <laughs> they can sympathise with each other. Lee, thank you so much for being with us. You really have been a very genuine human and it's been wonderful to hear your story. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.